Welcome to this Curious Serengeti. We're your host, David Square and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to our podcast and leave us an awesome five-star review and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter. We're here to talk about cybersecurity and technology news headlines and hopefully provide some insight, analysis, and practical application that you can take in the office to help protect your organization. And as usual, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. I have a hypothesis. New York City hasn't lost enough people yet, so they're trying to chase away any owners of Kias or Hyundais. Next, they'll be suing them for owning a Kia. It's a public nuisance. But just having to look at a Kia is a public nuisance. <laughs> I've heard they're better. I've uh, heard they've improved quite a bit over the last couple of years. I think both of them have improved. Uh, and when Hyundais first hit the scene, they were not known for their quality. <laughs> Put it that way. All right. For our first article, Blink Copilot brings generative AI to security automation. Finally, we saw this and actually I was like, oh, we have to talk about this because we, we talked about this back, God, like six months ago or more when ChatGPT came out and showed that it could write automation. So I started talking about building that into SOAR. But it only took six to nine months, but a small SOAR vendor I've never heard of called Blink has added generative AI to their product, and they have delivered us this announcement from Bleeping Computer in a sponsored post. So you know that it is fact-free. <laughs> and um, yet quality. Yeah, quality. So this is, so Blink is already a, quote, best of breed, low-code platform. And now they have added Blink Copilot, no, no branding issues there, allowing for text prompt development of workflows to access application APIs that you want to automate. So I tried. They offered a free trial on their website where you can type in and have it develop a, a API automation for you. So I asked it to do a simple one that I've been looking at recently. And then it spit out a extremely simple two-step process. It was like, reach out to API and get information, then reach out to Splunk <laughs> and add the information to Splunk. And then it, but then it said that I had to sign up to access the actual code. So I was like, all right, well, that's annoying, but I'll sign up. And I signed up and then it was like, all right, now you have to have a 15 minute call with sales first. So I stopped there because I didn't have time to have a 15 minute call with sales, but I'll probably do that next week sometime. I, I, I hate when companies shoot themselves in the foot like this. The only reason, this is the only reason I'm going to do it is because I want to see how well this works. Because if this works well, this is an absolute game changer for SOAR. Yeah, you can be like, yeah, I need this for Bob's Bait and Tackle. Yeah. So one of the big weaknesses of SOAR right now, we've, we've talked about this before. So if you're, a, you know, if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you can skip 30 seconds or 60 seconds ahead. But if you're one of our many, many new listeners, we get every week. <laughs> Joining daily. <laughs> this may be new. One of the big weaknesses of SOAR right now is it's very strict. You can do great things as long as you prepare them ahead of time. It's very much like the wizard class in Dungeons and Dragons. You have to pick and prepare your spells ahead of time and then rest to memorize them. Um, typically speaking, when you're developing for SOAR now, you start with your most common alert types. You know, you do the 20-80 rule. What are the 20% of our rules that are generating 80% of the alerts? And we automate those. And then the rest of your alerts stay unautomated. And basically, it just waits. You're waiting until you've got developer time, which may never happen. And maybe you're happy with that. Maybe if you automate 80% of the alerts, you're, you're happy. Uh, but the future of SOAR is going to be so much more flexible. It's going to be automations being created as you need them in the moment that you need them. When a new alert comes in and there's not an automated workflow for it, it's going to work with the analyst to automatically create the workflows as the analyst goes through the investigations. And then the next time the alert comes in, there's going to be a workflow there. 
And the next analyst can expand that workflow. And then the next time the alert comes in, it'll have the expanded workflow. Actually, in that case, there's, I think the biggest problem is going to be adding too much stuff to it. But then that's where you may have hopefully better and different AI to kind of prune it. But anyways, but this sounds like a good first step. My biggest concern here is I wonder if you have to feed it API docs for the tools, because these large language models that we've seen, they look through stuff that has already been created. So if you're asking it to create an automation for an API that's been done somewhere else, it'll probably be successful because it'll basically use that as a reference. But if you're asking for like a new tool, like, you know, a brand new EDR that's just come out, it's going to spit out something that's, it's going to spit out a hallucination. Well, if it doesn't have access to the to the API for the tool, because some of those are behind the support paywalls or whatever, True. you know, they're yeah. not just published to the internet, then it may guess at what the API is, but not necessarily know exactly what the API is, just based on other API types or other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to see it do, you know, once moving towards the risk-based alerting model, is being able to see, you know, what the alert is based on and say, oh, well, this looks like it's this type of event. And I suggest you, well, and and then it'll automatically do enrichment, you know, use domain tools or URL scan or virus solar or whatever to get the enrichment data and then say, oh, well, this is what's come back. You know, it looks good. It looks bad. I recommend you do X or something like that. And maybe X will be a button where you push say, yeah, do that thing. I agree. Execute on that or something like that. Because mm-hmm. really that's... right now, this is just facilitating what you already want to do. And like you were yeah. saying, it's a time saver, really. Yeah. Uh, no, you're, not, you're not doing something we can't do. It's just that it's faster to do it this way. Yeah. No, you're right. It, you should totally be able to figure out what to. So for here's here's an example. Uh, if you're developing an automation for a phishing event, you, by default, pretty much every SOAR platform I see will do the enrichment automatically. Like it'll, you know, go out to, you've got virus total hooked up, you've got URL scan or whatever hooked up, it'll go out to all those and it'll pull back all the information for all the indicators. Where it usually needs somebody to start constructing stuff is for investigation automations. Like let's say, again, a phishing email. You want to go and check to see if anybody has clicked on it in your proxy logs. That's probably pretty predictable. Checking to see if the firewalls have seen an IP address, checking to see if your EDR has seen a file hash from an attachment, all that's pretty predictable. You probably should, like if you get a new incident type you've never seen before, but it has IP addresses as a indicator, you can probably go back and be like, hey, when we have seen IP addresses in the past, we have used these searches from our SIM. You're right. You should be able to put together a pretty interesting and, you know, minimally effective playbook automatically in the SOAR. Yeah, because I think their example really lends itself more towards using this for threat hunting than it is like instant response, I would say. Interesting. What was their example? Was it in the Oh, v- you have to watch the video, was... oh, which is funny because the, the video is the, they've got a woman narrating and it's actually a automated voice that <laughs> narrates the video too. Because I'm going to oh, do this and I'm going to do that. Scan uh, Gmail box funny. for emails and delete them. Huh. That's you. So, okay. So, but this is the problem, right? Like, how do you determine that the mail is malicious? That's a pretty, uh, that's, that's, there's a lot that's in comp, accommodated in that one little spot of the command. Well, that's the, the, the old joke about, you know, you do this and then, then something, then profit. Profit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So anyway, so there's not much more to talk about here. I don't think so. I think this is just the first step assembling step into what will be a much more useful SOAR product in the next two to three years. Uh, yeah, and not it, just this one. You know, I expect, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, what's what are the big ones? It's not, uh, Phantom, it's not called that anymore. I think it's called Splunk SOAR. No, what's the other one? Demisto. Demisto, which then, is now yeah. Palo Alto XOR. Swimlet. Schneider's one. Oh, Schneider has one? Yeah, well, he sold it. What was it called? Resilient or? Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. IBM Resilient. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That one was more of a, a, that one was like basically like a checklist. I POC'd that one a couple of years ago. It was, the automation was not good. Maybe they've changed it. <laughs> I am going to try this. I'm going to see if I can get in and play with this a little bit. I would fully expect though, if it's good, someone's going to buy them and incorporate it into their product. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, it's it's not uh, it's not rocket science from the AI perspective. I think people just may look at it and say, "Hey, that's a good idea. Just do oh. it themselves." I'm not sure if they need to buy them. Well, so, so that, the problem maybe. the problem is is that the the code that's generated by ChatGPT and those is very good code, but it still needs tweaking and work. Mm. So yeah, I can see where companies would incorporate it in themselves kind of in the development environment and they should like it should be part of the development environment in these XOR platform in these SOAR platforms but like having production ready code come out of it that's if they if they can do that then i will be very impressed and they've got something special here mm -hmm. i just don't right. believe that that's where they are i uh, know they make it sound magical yeah it always sounds magical well, you have to report back on how well the trial goes. Which leads us to our next article, which is New York City latest to sue Hyundai and Kia, claiming their cars are too easy to steal. And she comes to like my rest. heart, too easy to steal. <laughs> so you're saying New York City has stolen your heart? or No, my heart's just too easy to steal. I'd say New York City has filed suit against Hyundai and Kia's U.S. subsidiaries, which are both owned by Hyundai Motors, alleging that their failure to implement modern security controls has created a public nuisance. To quote New York City, they said, Hyundai's and Kia's business decision to reduce costs and thereby boost profits by foregoing common anti-theft technology have resulted in an epidemic of thefts. This vehicular crime wave has had a significant impact on law enforcement operations, emergency services, and public safety including in New York City, where there are significant competing priorities for New York City police, for the New York City Police Department. So in other words, cops don't want to have to chase actual car thieves. They'd rather do something else like, you know, raid a donut shop or something. Holy shit. I'm looking at the numbers of Kia and Hyundai thefts compared to all of their ones. I just did a search for unbox.com. Mm -hmm. uh, Kia and Hyundai make up more than half of all car thefts. Oh, they're not cow. that popular, are they? Nationwide? Yeah, no, this, this one's Milwaukee specifically. And then Chicago, it's about half, maybe a little less than half in Chicago. Hmm. And I'd be curious to see what the the rate of ownership is then. Yeah, I don't know. I'm well, I was trying to find the, I was trying to look for the challenge, <laughs> to see the Kia challenge video. Oh, I think it, there's a there's a link that I didn't click on in the article that references the TikTok video. Okay, this is because, yeah, if I do a search for it, it's all news. It's all news about it. It's not actually. Yeah, like, I think there's I think a link in the article to, down. The, to the video, which I did not, did not click on, so I'm not sure. I want to um, steal a Kia. 
<laughs> yeah, it's good to know, just in case. But apparently, these cars have been sold 977 times in New York City just in the first four months of this year. And they say that's a hundred, that's a 660% increase over the, the same number of thefts versus last year, which is 148. And the irony here is that they've actually been gotten less easy to steal in the interim between these two times. They've been gotten easier to steal. <laughs> but the suit claims it's, that the thieves need no more advanced technology than a USB cable to drive off within seconds. There's got to be something on the other end of that USB cable. <laughs> you can't just plug a USB cable into <laughs> the car. <laughs> you put the other end of your mouth, and that's the way it works. Oh, my God. No, it is. So you... Oh, so it back, act, the USB cable acts back like the, steering. the key? Yeah, you peel back the steering column, dismantling the key slot. The USB cable can then be used to turn the ignition tumbler. Start the vehicle and release the steering lock. So you literally just use the USB cable instead of the key. <laughs> you don't need anything on the other end of the cable. Well, you don't even need a cable then. You can do that with a thumb. Yeah. That would be even look more like a key. That's hilarious. Yeah. And, and Matt is probably watching this video posted by a group of teenagers on how-to videos on how to steal susceptible Kia vehicles. Yeah, simply it says here they're simply forcing the ignition cylinder, just like if you're using a screwdriver to do it on a truck from the eighty on a car from the eighties. Oh my god, that is so terrible. That's so stupid. This is the dumbest thing that I've seen today. So there's a USB slot. So you stick it in and it turns. Well, it's not a USB slot. I think it's just the same size and shape as where the key goes. Because remember, I was looking this up, and this is for non-push button cars. This is for cars that actually do have a key. Mm -hmm. It goes in and turns. So, yeah, I think it's just the right size and shape to go into the, the, the slot. Oh, so it could be a screwdriver. Just yeah, USB. it probably could also be a screwdriver. Awesome. Uh, but this is 2023, man. We don't have screwdrivers. Everybody's got a USB cable <laughs> on them. <laughs> yeah, MacGyver's not walking around with the Swiss Army knife anymore. Yeah, knives are blocked everywhere. Did I tell you last time I tried to go into a... We were going to see a soccer game for work and they were like, you can't bring this knife in here. I had to go around to, because I just had a pocket knife on me and they made me go leave it in a locker somewhere. That is ridiculous. I don't go it's anywhere without my pocket knife. Exactly. But more and more places, you're just not allowed to just bring anything. It's a flipping pocket knife. Well, I guess I won't be going to more and more places. Yeah. I could go get a fork from the restaurant here and stab you with that. Why is this worse than that? Ah, anyways. People are idiots. That's why. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyways. Right. But the, the, the suit claims that the cars have failed or the car makers failed to install vehicle immobilizers, unlike those that are sailed abroad, sold abroad. So apparently this is not an issue in Canada or Europe. And I had to look up what a vehicle immobilizer is, but apparently it's like two-factor authentication for the car. You have a something you have. Something you have. So it's a transponder in the key fob or the smart key that then tells the car, hey, I'm here. You can start now. Yeah. So I did check up on this and apparently they have been installing it since November 2021, which is when the 2022 cars were released. So they're suing them for something that has not been a problem. I mean, it, it, it is a problem for older cars, but I, I just find this very interesting because they, they can't go back and change this. Right. So what they're suing them for is a mistake that they made before, which they've since remediated. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it's weird that 
you know, the, the cost of an immobilizer is not expensive. So it's odd that they wouldn't have been in the car to begin with. And yeah, if they looked, were already incorporating into those same cars in other, in, in other countries. Yeah. I looked up how much it costs trying to figure out how much they would save by not doing it. And it, uh, it, it looks like the hardware only costs about 50 bucks on Amazon. Now there's no guarantee. Obviously that's probably not the same hardware they would be using, but it does seem to imply that the hardware is not terribly expensive. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and New York city is claiming that they did this to save money, you know, and I don't think the socialists that run New York City actually understand how business works. I think there's some other reason here why those weren't included. Because I don't think that, that cost is so negligible. They could have simply added a press the car, no one to blink an eye. Yeah, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, even like 500 bucks would not be. When you're talking $20,000 cars, $30,000 cars. Kias aren't terribly yeah. expensive, but they're not. They're also they're not $10,000 cars either. Right. Uh, can you get a $10,000 car anymore? I don't think so. You go. You can. You can spend ten thousand dollars to get an electric bike. It's not a Harley. No, it's not. It's <laughs> just a bicycle. It's an electric bicycle. But the reason that the article, that the title of the article was that New York City is the latest to sue, is that Baltimore, Cleveland, Milwaukee, San Diego, Seattle, and other cities have already sued these car manufacturers for negligent for the same negligent practice, or supposed negligent practice. Well, they weren't uh, punished hard enough. You have to punish them more. And well, this also comes after the company has agreed to pay $200 million in a class action lawsuit for the owners of those cars as well. I mean, this makes no sense for the, for the government to jump onto this bandwagon. It seems like uh, the government is just suing them for, for making them do their jobs, mm -hmm. actually tracking down criminals. Oh, also insurance. I would imagine that insurance for Kia and Hyundai has to be going up and being more expensive. They, I did look it up and they stopped adding the immobilizers back in 2011. So it took 10 years for the criminals to catch on that you could do this. So I, I have to see that people who own Kias and Hyundais and the affected model years probably are seeing their insurance go up year over year against us. Yeah, I would imagine because insurance companies do understand or, or know what's going on with the car market. I mean, they've been doing this for a long time. So I would expect they do have, they do charge more for insuring those vehicles, mm. especially in a, and maybe not so much in a rural area or, you know, but in a large city or whatever, I'm sure those insurance, the insurance costs there are more expensive. Yeah. But they've released a software update that's supposed to help fix this problem. But the, but the city said, well, that's too, it's too little, too late. Uh, and there's no proof that the update actually fixed the problem since they've seen theft after the update's been deployed. So it's possible that the update's not good or that the update didn't take or that they're assuming a car had the update, but didn't and was stolen anyway. So yeah, they're... The... Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, because we looked up the update beforehand and it was hard to find some information on what it did, but Hyundai released a website called like HyundaiTheft.com or something like that. And they specifically mentioned the update looks for the key to be inserted into and then turned and it won't start unless the key is inserted and turned. But I wonder if they're looking at it the wrong way and like they're not actually detecting if the key is inserted or if they can, they're not detecting if the actual key is inserted, they're just detecting that something's inserted. So maybe they've moved over to the screwdrivers. <laughs> yes. It, 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 it's not that we've never seen a security patch go wrong before. <laughs> so I would not be surprised if they, if they messed that up. They put an equal zero instead of equals one somewhere. So now it just doesn't actually <laughs> do anything. 
Yeah, but the, I mean, the, the car industry is heavily regulated as it is already around specifications for cars. And, you know, they're talking about requiring backup cameras and there's all sorts of stuff like that already. It seems like the government could have required immobilizers to begin with. And what they're really suing them for is they've decided to move the goalpost. They, oh, well, every car has got to have an immobilizer now. It's just, yeah, it's, it's too much. Yeah. Hopefully the judge throws this one out. All of them out. I, I don't believe that this is a place where this the city should be doing this. No. I mean, cops are supposed to catch car thieves. But depending on how this goes, I think this could bleed over into other areas. Uh, you know, because this is another instance of gov the government saying, well, your security is not as good as we think it should be. So we're going to take you to court. I mean, imagine that you know, the government would sue, start suing software companies for failing to meet OWASP top 10 standards or something like that. So I think that this is, this is just, I don't know if this is necessarily the first shot across the bow, but do it, I, since our legal system is heavily based on precedent, mm -hmm. you know, this could set a precedent that can be used in other cases reg regarding software and security practices and, you know, what you do or don't do. So I think this could be a dangerous precedent if this goes forward. Yeah, I mean, soon we can start suing lock companies for easily pickable locks. We can start suing people for leaving their doors unlocked if they get robbed. Left your garage door open, you're just as much at fault, brother. Yeah, it's not that you haven't been suffered because your house was cleared out. <laughs> you know, we'll take what you have left. But oh, in, in the articles, a list of the affected cars, take a look at them, see if any of them affect you. And maybe you could uh, pop that case off and, I don't know, fill the fill that slot with epoxy or something to prevent it from working. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's not legal <laughs> advice or security yeah, advice. I was saying, the, you know, maybe there's other ways to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Maybe. All right. Next article from Barracuda from the register again, because we love the register. Tells its email security gateway owners to immediately junk buggy kits. The other week, Barracuda disclosed zero day. It was, I think it was May 24th or something that there was a remote command injection vulnerability for their ESG appliances. Apparently it had been being used in the wild for up to seven months before disclosure. Then on the 6th of June, they abruptly changed their tune. Now, if your ESG is compromised, you should replace it. And they are offering free replacements, I believe I saw. Like, can you imagine what a kick in the junk it would be if they were like, you have to replace it, but you have to buy one. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, and by the way, we've got a backlog, so you're not going to get a new one for two months. That sounds uh, about right. Because lo and behold, you're not the only one that needs one. There's 11,000 other people. <laughs> Mandian announced on June 15th that they believe that it was exploited globally by China. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So, I mean, really, uh, you just got to flip a coin at this point. China or Russia. <laughs> Russia. Yeah, because nobody spies on their own people. No, you can't get a 20-sided die for this. You know, just a coin. Well, anyways, so this was discovered by Barracuda on May 19th. Oh, I'm sorry, May 19th. And patches released were on May 21st, not 24th. That's a pretty good turnaround, actually. I'm kind of impressed. It only took them two days to get that out. Yeah, well, apparently you're serious. Yeah. The first seen malicious activity, I think Rapid7 reported they first saw malicious activity in November 2022, which is a while ago. The vulnerability is in the parsing logic for processing tar files. There was an unsanitized and unfiltered input when it pulled in the names of the archived files in the tar. So I wonder if that means that the names were actually a Perl script. You know, you had like 
30 or 40 files in there that if you ran all the names together was a legitimate Perl script. And that was what was executed. Actually, um, they actually was a shell script. They did have an example of the Mandiant article. It was a Unix shell script that was run. Now, because it says remotely executing a system command through Perl's GX operator with the privilege of the email security gateway is what it said in the, in the, uh, the Barracuda document. Interesting. So maybe it does multiple ones. The Mandiant one, they definitely had an example of a command run and it was, look like Unix shell script using OpenSSL. Yeah, it was set SID, then it was makeup height. Uh, well, I suppose because it's unsanitized input, it, you could give anything as long as the, yeah, the ESG as long as the understood was it. there. Yeah. Yeah, as long as there's uh, something to interpret it. Yeah. I thought that was kind of neat, you, you know, stringing better to get their bunch of file names and it's actually code. Yeah, that would have been cool, though. It would have made me wonder how it does. Like, does it do the files last first, first to last? Does it do them somewhat randomly? But they, of course, you know, attackers would have time to test and figure that out. Yep. Uh, anyways, yeah, very cool, very cool exploit. The threat attacker, the threat actor in the Mandiant report ran a command that created a named pipe, opened up a new bash prompt in the background. They used OpenSSL to dial back to the attackers, and then they just came in over the OpenSSL connection, OpenSSH. No, OpenSSL, OpenSSL. They came in over the OpenSSL connection and added more malware. Uh, they added backdoors into Barracuda modules, where if emails with certain characteristics were seen by the email security gateway, it would copy the attachment into the temp directory and reestablish a reverse shell. I, my assumption there was that it was using code in the attachment. I don't know why it would need to copy the attachment if the reverse shell was built into the backdoor, but it wasn't 100% clear there. Other malware allowed uploading, downloading, executing commands, proxy capabilities, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. Pretty cool malware. Did a lot of stuff. About a third of the target organizations were government. The big ones they mentioned were the Asian ASEAN, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade Offices and Academic Research Organizations in Taiwan and Hong Kong, which does kind of lean a little bit towards China, but is hmm. not. Well, that uh, doesn't make sense, though, because Hong Kong is China. Well, Hong Kong is China that's not fully pacified yet. <laughs> it's going to be China very soon. <laughs> not fully pacified. Funny. Well, they've done, they've done a lot. Hong you know, Kong has not been conquered and, yet. Oh, is that they not what they're been, doing? <laughs> they've been fully assimilated. Although the earliest compromised appeared, compromises appeared to be in mainland China. Although, again, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe it's somebody else that's playing in that sandbox. Or that was the, the testing. I don't know. Impossible to tell. Just believe, Matt. It is China. <laughs> So I didn't see anything about why the appliances needed to be replaced completely. There were some hypotheses from others that, and, and from David, when he first heard about they needed to be replaced, that they were able to alter the firmware. Yeah. Well, if you look in the, the linked Barracuda article or document on this, it says that in, for the saltwater portion of the, the code, the identified path is listed as home slash product slash code slash firmware slash current slash lib slash stmp or smtp slash modules. So I think that lends more credence to the idea that the firmware firmware was compromised. And so, I actually meant to look up, but I forgot to do so before we started, whether you can get a Barracuda appliance that's a virtual appliance or if they're all hardware appliances. Because hmm. most, most, most stuff does not have to be hardware anymore. So... If you've got a virtual appliance, you know, the firmware wouldn't make any sense at all. 
as far as being persistent. So maybe the patch works for those, but would not work for the hardware ones. It's weird though, that it's in the example you have here has firmware in the path. Although maybe, maybe that's where it's copied to originally. Cause if it's firmware, it wouldn't have a path, right? In the Unix OS. Well, I think that's where the firmware is loaded from, or, you mm-hmm. know, when you're going to yeah. do a firmware update, you drop it here. Yeah, that makes more sense. And then um, it's copied over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That makes more sense. So Barracuda will replace it for free, which makes me wonder how much this is going to cost Barracuda. I know they said they think there's 11,000 of these on the internet, and I'm sure they have numbers somewhere for how many they have sold. Yeah, but lucky for them, they get to decide which ones they're going to do. Because it seems like you have to prove compromise uh, in order for them to do the free replacement. So in 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 the Barracuda article, it says, users whose appliances we believe were impacted have been notified via the ESG user interface mm. interface of actions to take. So it seems like Barracuda has some kind of remote access or reporting of their own into those appliances today. So they know which ones have the IOCs on them and are have updated the code or or made they're able to write to the UI on the on the, the appliances so that the owners of those appliances are notified via that mechanism. That gives me a lot of confidence in my the security of my appliances so they can just dial in and mess around yeah. with it whenever they want. Hmm. Third-party compromises aren't a thing. Supply chain, whatever. Yep. So maybe it was part of the... No, because people... Because if you had... I was thinking it might have been part of the patch, but if you didn't know the patch was there and you didn't go through the update process, then, you know, you'd be out of luck, so... No, I think Barracuda's got something there, some kind of backdoor remote access or some kind of thing into the appliances, which is kind of shady. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Ooh. All right. <laughs> so uh, why does this matter? This is one of those kind of nightmare s- scenarios of security devices. The whole point of security devices is they have to be always available. They have to always be analyzing. And if the attacker can compromise and get into your security device and remove that security device from being able to detect them, <laughs> That's a tough one. Right. Yeah, imagine how, how much other malware they could have got to anywhere in the environment if, if they'd simply done something with the detection engine. Yeah. But the reason that this was even found was that someone noticed unusual network traffic coming from, the, from their, their ESG. So something to think about is, you know, is your email security gateway, regardless of the vendor, is it sitting right on the edge to the internet with nothing in front of it? meaning you might not even see any unusual traffic coming from it, which also may mean that you are not filtering the ports that are allowed to it, which should just be the, the ports necessary to conduct email. And if you do have something in front of it, are you creating alerts for this or other purposeful devices like DNS or, or email or anything like that to say that, oh, well, something is attempted to communicate with this or this device is attempted to communicate on a port, which it should not be communicating on. So flag that as an alert to, to take a look at it. Wasn't this the same way that uh, the SolarWinds compromise was detected? From May, that Mandy detected. Unusual yeah, well, traffic. Mandy detected them trying to, they detected unusual VPN activity is the way Mandy found it. Oh, okay. But it is along the same lines that if you are doing outbound port filtering, mm-hmm. you could have prevented compromise in the SolarWinds case I'm not sure, but I think that seems to be indicative of this as well, but I'm not totally positive. I don't remember reading anything about the specific ports or methodologies used for that. 
Uh, but maybe, I mean, it doesn't not hurt to do outbound port filtering for in destination filtering for all your servers and appliances. Uh, cause those are much easier. You can do that for, for those because you know what function they serve. It's, you know, you can't really, it's more difficult for workstations, but servers absolutely should be doing that. But that is all the articles we have for today. Thank you for joining us and follow us on at Serengeti Sec on Twitter and subscribe on your favorite podcast app.